You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 610 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, back in Atlanta, back on my microphone and back in my little mini studio here at my apartment. And uh, my apologies for last week's audio quality, but hopefully we navigated it and we're back here with a new podcast on Monday evening. Just me today talking about some news and a little bit of on the gambling front that we'll end with on this podcast. But there was a signing and uh, I wasn't going to break in with an emergency podcast to break this one down. Um, and you'll see why momentarily, but the Hawks came to an agreement. A few days ago with Ray Spaulding, first reported by Chris Kirchner of The Athletic, and uh, the Hawks have not announced this deal just yet, um, and the, I think uh, the reason why is because uh, what I was able to uncover, and what, from what I hear, it's going to be an, an Exhibit 10 contract, meaning that it's basically a training camp deal for Ray Spaulding. Um, not a lot of guaranteed money here. I haven't heard exactly how much guaranteed money there is, and it's important distinction because if the Hawks were to give him $50,000 or less in guaranteed money, that's $50,500,000 or less in guaranteed money. Money, then the Hawks would have his G League rights, which is important for someone like Spalding, who's a developmental player. If it's more than that, the Hawks would not have G League rights necessarily. So that's an important thing to follow. And I think it's going to be the $50,000 or less number because there's a lot of utility in having his G League rights. But wanted to point that out. It's not a full guaranteed contract. And as a result of that, the Hawks still have 13 guys under guaranteed deals, plus their two two-way contracts which is now Brandon Goodwin, if you missed that last week, and Charlie Brown, who was signed back in June. But uh, as for Spalding, uh, he is a 6'10", 215-pound big man out of Louisville. He measured with a 7'5 wingspan or so at the Combine. He was a 2018 draft pick, a late second rounder in 2018. He's still fairly young. He's uh, 22 years old. He's going to play almost this entire season coming up at 22. He turns 23 in March, and as a result of that, this is definitely uh, more of an upside flyer in a lot of ways. He played about 900 minutes last year in the G League with, with the Texas Legends and had some really good numbers. He actually averaged 15.9 points, 9.3 rebounds, 2.2 blocks, and 1.7 steals per game. He's definitely energy kind of big, um, you know, production-wise as, as a rebounder, block shot kind of guy. He's not an, a super skilled offensive player, but someone who has produced well at a professional level. It's, it's the G League, but still, he has he, he's also played in 14 games in the NBA last season. As a rookie, he played in one game with Dallas, who drafted him, and 13 games with the Phoenix Suns near the end of the year. In fact, he got three starts down the end of the year for Phoenix, and he also played with Phoenix in Summer League. I saw him a little bit out in Vegas. Um, what well, didn't blow anybody away out there, but I do I, I do think that um, a couple weeks ago we, we mentioned uh, Jeff Siegel and I talking about the available options. Ray Spalding was someone that I think Jeff brought up uh, initially as uh, one of those you know sort of you know low risk, potentially you know I, I won't say super high upside, but someone who could be a developmental piece down down the line. So a pretty Young player, and I thought this was a pretty good uh, sort of buy low signing. Uh, for me, I'm going to treat Spalding like he is a training camp contract and not really assign him to a full roster spot. That again would leave the Hawks with, with two spots left. I think they're going to do something in terms of a veteran somewhere on the roster. You know, backup point guards a spot where everyone keeps pointing, but now I think with Brendan Goodwin on the roster. 
It isn't necessarily a spot where I think the Hawks are definitely going to make an investment. So I do think that a veteran is going to be coming in some way, shape, or form. We're into late July here, but um, at, you know, even last year they signed Daniel Hamilton about this time of year. There's still reason. There's still plenty of guys that are available that are veterans. Of course, headlined by Vince Carter, who is still available at this point in time where the Hawks could make a move somewhere along the line. But Ray Spalding is certainly someone who I think could be on the roster and would not surprise me all that much. Um, for now, a training camp invite, but it's certainly a very good one. In fact, I think he's probably a better prospect than um, than, than Brandon Goodwin is, frankly. Just one of those things that Goodwin feels more of a need with their, on their current roster, but Spalding was a guy who was drafted, who has more of a pedigree, in my opinion, and I think is going to be productive when he plays. The upside is uh, not super high offensively, but I think he's someone, if you just put plug him in a role and more of a backup center kind of role, he could certainly be an NBA player for a while. And, um, you know, I haven't, seen him, I haven't seen him a ton. I've watched a little bit of film on him in the last couple of days while I was traveling and trying to fill some time, and I do remember him going back to Louisville. I covered him a little bit in that draft, but he was projected to be a late second-round pick or an undrafted guy, so it wasn't like top of mind necessarily, but the Hawks, I'm sure, took a look at him throughout that process, and uh, they're buying low here with a very, very low-risk option, which I really uh, I think is a good a good smart signing from the Hawks, even if not a hugely high-impact um, one. Uh, before we get to the rest of the podcast, I want to take a second to tell you about Bombas, because they're the most comfortable socks in the history of feet, plus for every Bombas purchase, they donate a pair to someone in need, Find out more about what feet they dream about at bombas.com slash locked, B-O-M-B-A-S.com slash locked. Get 20% off at B-O-M-B-A-S.com slash locked. All right, and we're back to talk about um, some uh, gambling odds about the Hawks. I've mentioned a couple times previously on these news catch episodes that the over-unders have been coming out. Uh, ben Online was out. There's a couple of different ones that have, came, that have come out in the recent past. And uh, the Hawks have a bigger, a bigger, I guess, a bigger range than some teams have been. Um, I've seen them with as low as uh, of an over-under as 32 wins, all up to 36 wins in the last couple of days. Caesars out in Las Vegas posted a 36-win total. Which was jarringly high. I got a lot of uh, some. I got some texts and some messages from people around the league that were surprised by that number. I thought that was a uh, pretty noticeably high. Um, but the rest of them, you know, I guess the most famous one came out over the weekend. Um, and one that one that I want to talk about a little bit here on the podcast is that Westgate, um, the superbook in Las Vegas, that's uh, you know famously the biggest one in the world, essentially. Um, released three different numbers that I want to talk about a little bit as an instructional thing for looking ahead to the season. They released a 33 and a half win total for the Hawks, which is about you know somewhere in the middle of the consensus, I would say. So not, nothing terribly shocking about that number. They also put the Hawks at eight to one in terms of betting odds to win the Southeast Division. Um, they put the favorite as Miami at four to five and Orlando at seven to five. So. Interesting to see, um, you know, not not a big surprise. I think Miami, Orlando are definitely teams that are going to be projected to be better than the Hawks. So no big surprise there. But eight to one, I had a lot of people that I, when I tweeted that out react with some um, fervor about the Hawks being pretty good value there. I think I would agree with that, just because I'm not a huge buyer of Miami or Orlando. You know, for, on Miami side, if Jimmy Butler were to get hurt, they have some, um, you know. Some issues, I would say. They're going to be pretty heavily reliant on him this season in Orlando. I've never been an Orlando believer at any point in time. They had a nice year last year, honestly. And Vucevic had a nice breakout season. But, you know, their guard play is really shaky. And I would not necessarily bank on them repeating what they were able to do last year. So, you know, I'm not going to tell you that the Hawks are going to win the division, but that's uh, fairly appetizing odds, I would say. Um, also, I, uh, I wanted to point out that the Westgate has the Hawks at plus 375 to make the playoffs. That places them, you know, as pretty unlikely. Uh, but if you wanted to place a bet in Las Vegas on the Hawks make the playoffs, if you were to, were to invest $100, they would pay you 375 if the Hawks were to make the playoffs. It's, it's pretty decent value. Again, the Hawks, you know, in terms of their over-unders at Westgate, they have the Hawks at, in, a, in a tie for 10th place in the Eastern Conference, 
was behind um, behind the likes of Miami and Orlando and Detroit, um, but also in, in a tie with Chicago and ahead of four teams. Those four teams being uh, Charlotte, Cleveland. New York, and I'm um, looking at the list on oh, Washington as the fourth team that the Hawks would be ahead of. None of those are a big surprise. I think the Hawks are basically in a tier with Chicago um, along the lines of where I've seen everywhere, and I kind of agree with that. You know, Chicago made some interesting moves that I kind of liked over the offseason, but they still have a pretty glaring um, issue in the backcourt. You know, I like Thomas Sadoransky, but he's not someone who's going to blow you away, and Kobe White as a rookie is probably going to be kind of bad. Uh, I think they're going to be pretty good in the front court with um, Thad Young joining Otto Porter and Wendell Carter and Lauren Markkinen. They have a lot of talent there. But that's a, uh, I think probably the, the team that I think I've seen closely associated with the Hawks in terms of just uh, similar projections in a lot of places is Chicago, and uh, fittingly they're they're projected in a tie by the Westgate odds. But uh, you know, third in the Southeast, tenth in the East is kind of a standard projection right now. But I want to talk about that a little bit as we look ahead here. I'm saving all of my like actual prognostication for later on in the offseason because the Hawks could still make moves. You know, it's still fairly early. Um, all through, I mean, I know it feels very it feels very late because of how early everything happened in July. But it's still July as I'm recording this, so they can make a move or two, and I want to I want to pay myself down a little bit. But I got, I got some reactions about the win total. You know, it's some of this, some of this is fan stuff where fans uh, always want to see the optimism, so I totally understand that. And I said when the first over under came out, I think it was 32 and a half that I would take the over. I wouldn't you know run to the window to bet it, but I think I would take the over on 32 and a half. At 36, I would take the under. Frankly, I wouldn't again bet on that either. Uh, I think the Hawks are gonna be somewhere in that range, but you know, 36 seems kind of high. Uh, I, I've worked on some rationale that I wanted to share a little bit with my thinking at this point in time as to why uh, maybe I'm not just gonna run over uh, and run, <laughs> I guess, run to the window and bet the over on some of this stuff. First of all, the center position is gonna be a point of contention. I am on record as saying Dwayne Dedman was awesome last year. I believe that. For me, he was the third best player on the team last season, and for you know at least for the first few months, he might have been he might have been second best player behind John Collins, because um, Trey Young of course struggled a little bit early on. But still, I think you know at the very least they lose a quality starting center from last year's team. I do like Alex Len. I like I like that signing when it happened last year. Um, you know, Damian Jones might be able to play and function. Bruno Fernando, I kind of like that pick, um, but still he's going to be a rookie. I think at the very least center is a downgrade from last year. That's not a controversial stance by any means, but I think that's important to at least keep remembering and being reminded of at this point in time because Devin was so good last season that that, that is not a small loss in my opinion. Also, um, backup point guard, uh, the Hawks had Jeremy Lin for a long time last year, and Jeremy Lin was hot and cold to be sure he had one just fantastic lights out month and the rest of the time he was not necessarily great but he was a professional point guard and the Hawks don't really have a backup point guard right now uh, Evan Turner I understand the experiment we talked about that at length on the podcast we probably will even more as we get closer to the season I understand what the Hawks are trying to do there and I think the rationale behind it does make some sense um, provided they can surround him with what he needs to be surrounded by but it's definitely an experiment and it's more of a situation where I'm not banking on that to work out it might work and I totally understand how it could but Evan Turner has never been a primary backup point guard before. Um, and last year they had a real one for most of the season with Jeremy Lin. So that's, uh, I think, maybe neutral, but it could be a downgrade from where they were last year. Um, also on the wing, in terms of the small of the small forward spot, I'm not the biggest Torian Prince fan in the world. I, I think I've shared that in, in the recent past. I think Hawks fans were starting to join me by the end of last season, and now he, he of course, is not around. But Torian Prince is a really, really good NBA shooter, and that's something that uh, definitely helped the Hawks' offense in the last year or so. He shot 39% from three last year. That's a real that's a real, it's a real, real loss. Um, I do think you know the Hawks are in better shape, and I like that trade when it happened. I think getting a first-round pick for Torian Prince was good value with one year left on his contract, et cetera, et cetera. But for this year only, um, it's at least possible that, these, that the small forward spot for the Hawks is not going to be necessarily great because you know they're going to be relying on two rookies there. They, ha- they have guys who can play there, um, like DeAndre Bembry, like even Kevin Herter, they, they 
maybe even Chandler Parsons. But um, for the most part, I think the minutes at the small forward spot are going to be DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish, who I like, both of those guys, but they're, but they're rookies. I think the Haw- I think Hawks fans might be a little bit spoiled in the last couple of seasons by quality rookie play from John Collins and Trey Young and Kevin Herter, but for the most part, rookies are not good. Um, I think Hunter is likely to be pretty good as a rookie because of the fact that he's a little bit older, more established, a little bit safer, but Reddish might struggle based on his college stuff. Uh, I think it'd be important to uh, be patient with Cam Reddish, but uh, sort of on on the whole, I think the move, again, the move to trade Prince was a good one, but this year, uh, you know, Prince was definitely a weakness on, on, on defense, and there's not necessarily a situation where you're uh, going to be mourning his loss, but that's something to keep in mind, too. I'm not, really sure, I'm not really sure that's an upgrade for this year only, going from Prince to the guys that they actually added as rookies. You know, in the future, they're obviously much, much better options, and my opinion, but for uh, the short term, keep that in mind. And then uh, also, I've been pointing out regularly that the Hawks were on a 33-win pace or so when John Collins played last year, and that allows you to be a little bit more optimistic. That's kind of what leads me to take the over on 32 and a half. If they were to offer that to me right now, that's, that's, the, that's the side that I would go on. But on the flip side of that, the Hawks had a 27 point, sorry, a 27-win point differential. So they were a little bit lucky by point differential last year to even get, get to 29 wins. Now, part of that is that they were so bad early on that, you know, they were getting mauled a lot of the time. When Trey was really struggling and when John wasn't playing early in the season, they were really rough. So it can be a little bit misleading. I do think that, you know, true talent-wise, once everybody was on the floor last year, they were better than that. But still, it's important to keep that in mind, too, that they, uh, I guess, technically got a little bit lucky to get 29 wins last year, um, at least in terms of their on-the-court production. That is not a factor in Collins playing. And again, I think they were probably about a 33-34 win team with John Collins and Trey Young playing. And, you know, internal improvement-wise, there's plenty of reasons to think that the, that the team's going to be better this year. I totally get that. If you were just to, uh, I guess, project some fairly linear growth from Young, from Collins, and from Herter, those guys could all make leaps this season. I always want to be caution, uh, sort of uh, provide the cautionary side to say that not everyone just improves literally. Uh, we've seen some rookies have great rookie years and then stagger a little bit as sophomores. Same with two years two to three. It does happen sometimes, and I think uh, the smart money might be that all three guys won't necessarily make huge jumps this season, but um, I think on the whole, the three of them are going to be a lot better than they were this last year, especially when you're talking about a full year of Young and a full year of Collins. Uh, and I think Herter might even might even be the, the easiest jump from one sort of one line on the pecking order to the other because I think Herter, um, as he gets more established, I think Trey was obviously very good by the end of last season, same with John Collins, but Herter has more room to grow, I think, and then we'll see how that looks in the future. I think also, if you're looking optimistically, the Hawks have played some pretty good defensive lineups this year where they really couldn't do that for most of last season. I think if they were to play Evan Turner some defensively, you have Hunter, who's a better, who's going to be a better defender, I think, maybe maybe right away than, than Torian Prince was. Cam Reddish even might be a pretty good defender right away. Um, you know, Jabari Parker, maybe not, but uh, Collins, a year better defensively. Alex Lang can be solid on the end of the floor. I think Trey will be a little bit better in year two, um, you know. DeAndre Bembry, even Alan Crabb is not great, but he's not necessarily, I think it's uh, possible that he's at least going to give you what Torian Prince gave you defensively, so I think defensively they're going to be a little bit better. Um, relying relying on rookies and without Deadman could be a little bit of a stretch, but I think the guys who are coming back on the roster should be a little bit better, which should help defensively if you want to be optimistic. I didn't love the Jabari Parker player option. I said that a couple times on the podcast, but he is a lot more talented than the guys they had backing up John Collins last year. You know, Famously, early in the year, they were rolling out some really rough lineups without Collins available. I think Vince Carter um, established himself during the season as a solid option, but you know, Amari Spellman, they had some ugly guys behind John Collins last season, and now they have a couple of options. They have Jabari Parker, they have 
you know, if they can go small with Hunter or Reddish, they could, they could also play Chandler Parsons. They could also uh, play Evan Turner there. Honestly, he's played some power forward in his career. So they have some options there that are better than what they had last year. So I can kind of see all sides, which is why I wanted to sort of lay that out there a little bit in terms of just the worthy projections are. I think Hawks fans are justifiable in being optimistic. And if you see a low number, I think I tweeted this the other day, but if you saw a 32 and a half, they're still available. If you want to go out there and uh, lay, up, lay, down, lay down some jelly beans, I would not fly to Vegas and bet the over 36 at Caesars. That's not a great, that's not a great value. Just as a, a pro tip there, uh, bet the, bet the over on the high, on the lower number and the under on the higher number. Usually the best, best way you can, that you can do that. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I think I would project the Hawks somewhere in the low to mid 30s. That's a pretty reasonable thing. They have some upside beyond that. Obviously, if you know if young and if young Collins were to fully break out to become All Stars this season, that can kind of lead you on a path to being better than that. If either one of those guys stagger, if you get an injury or two, um, if you got some defensive issues, then maybe it takes another year because rookies are going to be heavily relied on this season. Um, I've said this a number of times, but if you have an injury to either Young or Collins this year for any length of time, you might be in some trouble as well. So um, there's some. Uh, some variants, to be honest with you. I think I'm excited about the future, quite obviously, and I think long term there's plenty to be excited about. But I think the, I think it's probably a, uh, probably wise to be a little bit cautionary in terms of just projecting like 40 wins or more. Is that possible? Absolutely, at this point in time. But you're still playing a lot of rookies. You're playing a lot of. Um, you know, interesting sort of unknown stuff at the center spot. I think Alex Lynn is, is a solid option, but Damian Jones and Bruno Fernando are question marks. Um, could they be solid? Sure, absolutely they could be. But um, losing, losing Deadman is a, is a real thing. And we'll talk more about that in the future, but I want to at least lay that out because I got a lot of questions after I tweeted out some of the numbers. Um, my favorite bet, if I had to pick one at Westgate, is probably the 8-1 to one to win the Southeast Division bet. Um, I do think, you know, plus 375 to make the playoffs is not crazy at all, but 8-1 to one to win the division, because of how I feel about Miami or, Miami and Orlando, I think 40 wins might win the division. Um, I'm not saying it's, I'm going to pick that, because if Jimmy Butler were to play 75 games, Miami's, Miami's probably better than that with Bam Adebayo and a couple of his supporting pieces, but I do think that if the Hawks were to, you know, hit their higher end outcome and maybe go out and win 42, 43 games, that might win the division. And I think that that's probably the best value on the whole board when talking about Westgate and what I was tweeting and posting about on Monday afternoon. So a lot of gambling talk there. My apologies if you are not uh, super into that, but I think even if you're not into that, and it's something I wanted to at least share all the time. I I often share point spreads during the season as well uh, before games to sort of outline the baseline. Even if you're not going to be betting on games, and uh, that's totally your decision, your decision, obviously. I think it's a pretty good indicator a lot of times. People setting those lines are very smart. It's also a good indication of what expectations are for the Hawks and for the uh, rest of the league. So I, I always find that to be an, an intriguing tool to inform some of the discussion points and all that stuff. So I'll, I'll use that from time to time on the podcast. And uh, one of our future podcasts in the next couple of weeks is going to be an over-under show with Robbie Cowan and I talking about the entire league. I often keep this, I usually keep this podcast just to the Hawks uh, with very few tangents, but those are going to be some uh, some big picture league podcast stuff when I want to share my thoughts on every team in the league. So every once in a while, I'll do that in the offseason, and uh, please forgive me when that happens. But uh, please subscribe to this podcast in the very near future if you haven't already done so. I really appreciate everyone that already has via Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Himalaya app, um, Overcast, all those places. Please go ahead and click that subscribe button, rate and review as well. And uh, I have uh, planned to have a guest on Wednesday that's going to go up Wednesday night or Thursday, so hopefully that's going to come to fruition. You'll have a uh, a not a podcast that just not just not not just my voice and a big picture one. Hopefully that's going to come through. So please stay tuned for that, and we'll see everybody later on in the week.